Great. And coming from the west coast of Ireland, so plant-based is all good out here. And just yeah. to, to kind of give you an idea, so this is what we're looking out at. This is where our offices are based. So grass-fed, nothing but, uh, but yeah, it's all good. It looks beautiful. Good stuff. So what I would like to talk about is the application of different breathing techniques. And this will include, I suppose, what got me into breathing in terms of being able to decongest your nose, improving your sleep quality, improving your blood circulation and your oxygen delivery. So in the title that I was talking about earlier on, I was conveying that not all breathing exercises are the same. So it's really important to understand when you do a breathing exercise, what is that breathing exercise actually doing to your body? The idea of taking a deep breath could be the worst thing or the worst instruction possible. Because what happens when you breathe too much air? So I'll start off with that. And part of this is I would just be talking off the cuff. I've been training and giving breathing exercise for 21 years and working with hundreds and many, many people with anxiety and panic disorder, with obstructive sleep apnea, with snoring, with asthma and respiratory complaints. And um, we've worked with long COVID. We also work with military. We work with corporates. We work with sports people. So we have the health arm. And then we have their performance arm. So what I'm going to do is a little bit about um, many of you are listening to me. You may have an interest in anxiety, panic disorder. You may have an interest in sleep. You might just be curious about, is there a way to breathe to dilate your blood flow, dilate your blood vessels? So I got into breathing from having asthma. And when you have asthma, you have a condition, of course, with your lungs. And inflammation in your lungs travels up to your nose. And if you have a stuffy nose, you are two to three times more likely to have sleep problems. So people with respiratory complaints don't just have a respiratory problem. They're also more likely to have a sleep problem. They're waking up feeling tired. It's very common to have a sleep problem. 30% of the Western population in adults have insomnia. 10% have it chronically. Between 25 to 50% of men, studied men, have a condition called obstructive sleep apnea. In females, it's a lot less until post-menopause, and it increases 300%. And obstructive sleep apnea post-menopause is associated with dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system. So coming back full circle, when we think about breathing, we should be thinking about breathing in and out through our nose, both during rest, during physical exercise, and also during sleep. Your nose performs all of the functions when it comes to breathing. Your mouth has no function whatsoever. By breathing through your nose, you increase oxygen uptake in the blood by nearly 10%. But also if you do your light physical exercise and yoga and whatever you're doing with your mouth closed, there's increased oxygen delivery to the working muscles. So your recovery is better. By breathing through the nose, we have a connection via the olfactory nerve. And all of this communication is going from the nose to the brain. And if we breathe through our mouth, we bypass this. So, for example, we select our mates, we select our partners based on the communication, and it is influenced via the olfactory nerve. So what happens with mouth breathing? Well, with mouth breathing, we pretty much have no functions devoted to breathing other than allowing the air go straight down our throat. Now, despite this, 25 to 50 percent of studied children persistently mouth breathe. What does it do when your children or your grandchildren are breathing through their mouth? It's going to impact their sleep. But if their sleep is impacted, it's going to impact their academic ability. And also, if the child's sleep is impacted, 
it can increase the risk of special education needs. So for example, in one study of 11,000 people that was published in the journal Pediatrics in 2012, they looked at the incidence of sleep disorder breathing, and it was published, she's an American researcher actually, her name is Karen Bonnock. So I'll be weaving in a little bit of science and I do promise you that uh, I think you'll find it interesting and I will give you the, the practical the practical application here. So I'll give you the exercises, how simple techniques to help open up your nose, etc. So just bear with me one second. So this is a really interesting paper involving 11,000 children from Stratford-upon-Avon in the United Kingdom. We never consider this when we think about mouth breathing during sleep. So the, the researchers here looked at children's sleep from age six months to 57 months. And their conclusion was that if a child has a history of sleep disorder breathing at five years of age, and if it's untreated, the child has a 40% increased risk of special education needs by age eight. And this was a study of 11,000 children, and it's published in the journal Pediatrics, a high impact journal. So why should sleep and breathing be connected with children? Well, if a child has sleep disorder breathing, that's including snoring, sleep apnea, and also mouth breathing is a hallmark factor there. Both may affect brain development and cause neuronal damage, particularly during critical early developmental periods. So it's really important that both children and adults that we get sufficient slow wave sleep because this is the most restorative form of sleep. But if a child, if their sleep has been disrupted, this is going to impact decision-making, ambition, and emotional regulation. Disrupting this process via sleep fragmentation or when there's a drop in your blood oxygen saturation may affect the frontal cortex function and lead to aspects of childhood obstructive sleep apnea. So, so basically, breathing behavioral speech, sorry, behavioral sleep problems characterized by inadequate and frag fragmented sleep. It affects behavior in children, cognition and language development, sleep disorders. It, it's causing delayed or linked to delayed development, speech language impairment, adverse behavioral and cognitive effects. In the United States, there are 3 million children aged between 6 to 21 years of age who are receiving special education for conditions associated with sleep disorders, developmental delay, learning disability, or autism. And 40 to 80% of these kids also have attention deficit disorder. Any children who are having their mouth open, if they have the multi-symptom expression of sleep disorder, breathing hallmark symptoms such as snoring, stopping of the breath, and just for children, if they stop breathing for two breaths or more, and mouth breathing, this is a risk factor. So this isn't just applying to, of course, adults. We have to think of our kids as well. So coming back to the nose, the nose is an estimated 30 plus functions. The mouth is zero, zero. And despite this 25 to 50% of studied children breathe through an open mouth, it impacts their craniofacial development. They're more likely to have overcrowding of teeth. Their jaws are set back. In adults, mouth breathing is activating, of course, more upper chest breathing, fight or flight response, increased sympathetic drive, increased stress response, and mouth breathing is impacting sleep. So sleep is lighter. You don't wake up feeling as refreshed 
you're more likely to snore, and you're more likely to have obstructive sleep apnea. So nose breathing is where it's at. You know, when you go for a walk the next time, yes, when you switch to nasal breathing, it's going to be a little bit more difficult because the air hunger is a little bit stronger initially. But the more you breathe through your nose during physical exercise, the air hunger diminishes. Always remember, your nose is for breathing and your mouth is for eating, for drinking and for speaking. So during physical exercise and during sleep. Now, 50% of you here will be waking up with a dry mouth in the morning. And obstructive sleep apnea, as I said earlier on, it affects 25 to 50% of studied men. And in women, it doesn't affect so many up until about age 50, 51, 52, post-menopause, sleep disorder breathing increases by 300%. And there is a, an association with obstructive sleep apnea and the symptoms of menopause, uh, post-menopause, including hot flushes, et cetera. So dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system. So if we think of the autonomic nervous system, how do we bring the body and mind into balance? We have to think about breathing. 75% of people with anxiety and panic disorder have dysfunctional breathing patterns. So what does that mean? Well, the best way to think about good breathing and poor breathing is ask yourself, how do you breathe? when you get into a tricky situation. So the next time you're feeling stressed, so you're feeling stressed, how do you breathe? Does your breathing get faster or does it get slower? And you'll find that your breathing is getting faster. Is it upper chest or is it driven by the diaphragm? And you're more likely to experience upper chest breathing. Is it regular breathing or irregular? You're more likely to notice that you sigh frequently. You know, when we feel a bit uncomfortable, we sigh, we sigh more. We're feeling air hunger. We just feel that we can't take a satisfying breath, especially if it's quite a bit of stress, mouth breathing. And this is involving effortful breathing. Now, the best way then to bring the body into relaxation, because ultimately that's what we want to do. And it's a pretty fine line. You know, if we're in this stress state for too long, it's not good because it, it leads to burnout. And there is an association between poor breathing patterns, such as hyperventilation syndrome and burnout. So when we think about burnout, we're thinking about the corporate, but, you know, stressful situations in family life and um, people pushing themselves too hard during physical exercise. So when we think about exhaustion syndrome and burnout and fatigue, that is um, associated with poor breathing patterns. But the one thing about our breathing is that we can influence it. So instead of breathing faster, we need to breathe slow, really slow down the speed of our breathing. Instead of breathing upper chest, we want to have good recruitment of the diaphragm. Instead of sighing, we want to have regular breathing patterns. Instead of feeling air hunger, we want to change our breathing so that our breathing is effortless. Instead of breathing through the mouth, we want to be breathing through the nose. These are great tools to be able to self-regulate. This is activating the body's rest and digest response to relaxation response. So when we think about the breath, we have to ask, what way do we breathe? How will it change states? If you want to stress the body and mind, and controlled stress is quite good for the human body once we don't push it too hard. Physical exercise, if done right, is a controlled stress, and it causes positive adaptations, improve the immune, immunity, et cetera. But if we overdo it during physical exercise, 
that's at a point that the stress is too much and that has negative consequences. So when it comes to breathing, if you want to stress the body and mind, you could hyperventilate, hyperventilate, controlled hyperventilation. You could be doing it for 20 breaths, 30 breaths. You could do it for a half an hour. Always bear in mind, when does a good stress become a bad stress? Would I do hyperventilation for a half an hour? I'd be quite reluctant because I know too well what's happening. And people do get release in terms of emotional content when they, they breathe hard and fast, that it can cause release. But just bear in mind, this is also causing blood vessels to constrict. There's reduced blood flow to the brain. There's reduced oxygen delivery throughout the body. You're activating the stress response. Short term is okay, but it depends on the person. The other way to stress the body is to do a breath hold. Do a long breath hold. You could breathe in and hold your breath for a long time, or you could breathe out and hold your breath for a long time. So these are two main ways of stressing the body and mind. If we want to activate the body's rest and digest response, rest and relaxation, rest and digest, we can breathe light, very lightly. Light breathing is all about breathing a little bit less air to the point of air hunger. This way you can improve your blood circulation. Breathe slow. The body is telling the brain that everything is okay. Breathe low. And tied in with this is nose breathing. So if you want to stress the body and mind, hyperventilate or do a long breath hold. If you want to activate the rest and digest response, breathe light, breathe slow, breathe low. This is nose breathing. So the real question here is, is there a way to breathe to improve blood oxygen um, transfer? So I'm just going to change colors here. So how can we increase oxygen uptake from the lungs into the blood? The key here is breathing in and out through the nose. And very simply, by breathing through the nose, you pick up a gas called nitric oxide, and nitric oxide helps to open up the small blood vessels in the lungs. And nitric oxide helps to redistribute the blood throughout the lungs so that a better gas exchange takes place. So nose breathers do have an increased pressure of oxygen in the blood by nearly 10%. Mouth breathing doesn't do that for you. The mouth isn't designed for breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. Your nose has about 30 functions, both inhaling through the nose and exhaling through the nose, and of course, with your tongue resting up in the roof of your mouth. But how then can you improve oxygen delivery from the blood to the tissues and organs, including the heart? Your heart needs its own supply of blood flow and oxygen and the brain. How can you improve? Do you know how much oxygen the brain consumes? The brain consumes 20% of our oxygen uptake. Sorry, the brain consumes 20% of the oxygen we bring into the body. But if we are breathing in a certain way, there's reduced oxygen delivery to the brain. What would cause reduced oxygen delivery to the brain? If our breathing is a little bit faster, if our breathing is a little bit harder. So if we breathe a little bit too fast and too hard, it means that we breathe too much air. And by breathing too much air, we get rid of too much carbon dioxide. So we're losing carbon dioxide from the lungs. And this in turn is going to reduce carbon dioxide in the blood. And as we lose carbon dioxide in the blood, this drives blood pH up. And as blood pH increases, hemoglobin, which is the main carrier of oxygen in the blood, holds onto oxygen more readily. So this is coming back to the title. Are there breathing techniques out there 
that are telling you that the more air you breathe, take that full breath, take that deep breath, that there's more oxygen being delivered throughout the body. That's not correct. That's not true. So there was a discovery made back in 1904 called the Bohr effect. And the Bohr effect simply states that as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, blood pH drops, and the hemoglobin affinity for oxygen reduces. In other words, the red blood cells are releasing oxygen in the presence of carbon dioxide. So how then can we improve oxygen delivery? And how can we improve blood flow? And once you have these tools, you have these tools for life, but it's not by breathing through them out. We can also activate the body's rest and digest response. When we breathe in, it's more activated by sympathetic nervous system because the vagus nerve steps back. And the vagus nerve is this nerve that's wandering throughout the human body, innervating the major organs. And 80 to 90% of the communication of the vagus nerve is from the body up to the brain. So you can imagine this, this nerve that's wandering throughout your body and it's sending all of this information from the body up to the brain. So during inspiration, the vagus nerve steps back. Whenever we want to think about relax, activating the relaxation response, it's all in the exhalation. So the exhalation is primarily under the control of the body's rest and digest response. If you breathe out fast, say for example, you're stressed, and your breathing is faster, your, your expiration is fast, so you have a fast exhalation. When you have a fast exhalation during sleep or during rest, what's the body telling the brain? The body is telling the brain that there is a threat outside. And the brain is here to protect the body. The brain is here to ensure that we survive. So the brain wants you to get out of the situation. The brain is putting you into a fight or flight response. And that's why we can't think straight. Can you think straight when you're in a difficult situation? And it comes back to, there was a podcast by a brain surgeon. He was being interviewed by Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. The brain surgeon's name was Dr. Rahul. And Dr. Rahul says, you can imagine a brain surgeon going in of a Monday morning. And uh, Dr. Rahul said, he said, when I get into a tricky situation, the first thing I do is prevent myself from hyperventilating. Now, how many of you, when you get into a tricky situation, how many of you know how to change your breathing patterns? It's not by taking the full big breath. So that's really where breathing is. Breathing is about building up your resilience and breathing is about improving and changing states so that you can help to bring a calmness and a quietness to the mind. And that's why, you know, when we think about mindfulness, observation of the breath and awareness of the breath, is it enough? If you have 75% of the population with anxiety having dysfunctional breathing. So let's just look at this for a moment. And as I said, we will do some practical. So normally I rather kind of, even though I had a, prepar a presentation ready for you, I don't always stick with them. So this is an interesting paper by a professor of physical therapy from the United States. And he looks at 51 individuals and he tests her breathing from a biochemical point of view, a biomechanical point of view, and only 10% of people passed it. But he talks also in this paper that 75% of the anxiety population have dysfunctional breathing, 50% of people with lower back pain, 50%. So in other words, they have dysfunctional breathing, they are more likely to be breathing in the upper chest. The diaphragm breathing muscle 
which is located at the base of your ribs, isn't just for respiration, but it also provides stabilization for the spine. Now, what I would like you to do is to look down at your chest and take the breath through the mouth. So when you look down at your chest and breathe through your mouth, you see that your upper chest breathing. Mouth breathing is upper chest breathing. Mouth breathing is faster. Faster and upper chest breathing, your body is telling the brain that things are not okay. Your brain is here to protect you. The next time that something happens, and start off with small situations, pay attention to your inhalation and have a really slow and relaxed, gentle exhalation. And breathe out as softly and slowly as you can. Because whenever throughout our evolution, whenever we got into a stressful situation, we didn't have a slow and prolonged exhalation. Stress is almost synonymous with a fast exhalation. But we can use this to our advantage. If stress is almost synonymous with a fast expiration, well, why not have a really slow and relaxed and prolonged exhalation? And you're telling the body, the brain, sorry, the body is telling the brain that everything is okay. And the brain is going to send signals of calm back to the body. So let's start with a few different exercises. And uh, this time I am going to pull up small present. No, I won't. I'll just do it off the cuff. So whenever you're ready, I would like you to do small breath in and a small breath out. So you're taking a normal breath in through your nose and a normal breath out and holding your nose for a count of five. This is very easy. This is just helping to stimulate the vagus nerve. So we're going to warm up. This is our warm up when it comes to breathing. And by the way, when you do a breath hold like this, it will increase blood flow to the brain because of when carbon dioxide increases in the blood, the blood vessels dilate. And we will have you experience this and we'll put it into chat and see how many of you are able to experience it, how many of you are not experiencing it. So just out of interest, you know, there's a group of what, about 70 people, 80 people here. We'll see, are you able to influence your body temperature via your breathing? Are you able to activate the rest response and the digest response via your breathing? You're into food. How many people are eating food and they're in that increased sympathetic drive? So in order to digest the food, we need to be able to downregulate. Is there a way to downregulate within three, four minutes that the body and the brain is in a state of safe mode? So that's what we want to do. So we'll start off with a small breath hold exercise, and then I'll go on to the breathe light exercise. So small breath hold, whenever you're ready. Take a normal breath in through your nose, out through your nose, and pinch your nose and hold, and hold for five seconds. Five, four. Three, two, one, let go, but breathe in through your nose and breathe normal now for about 10, 15 seconds. When your mind is agitated, if your breathing is labored, if you're feeling wheezing or coughing, this is your emergency exercise. The more stressed the mind, hold your breath after an exhalation. Again, take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold for five Four, three, two, one. Let go, but breathe in through your nose and to breathe normal for 10 to 15 seconds. So you're breathing normal for 10 to 15 seconds. And again, take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold. Five, four, three, two, one. Let go, breathe in through your nose and to breathe normal for 10 to 15 seconds.
And again, take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold. Five, four, three, two, one. Let go, breathe in through your nose and you breathe normal for 10 to 15 seconds. And again, take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold. Five, four, three, two, one, let go, breathe in through your nose and breathe normal for 10 to 15 seconds. This is quite a famous paper. Um, we've come across this many years ago. I wrote it in one of my books back in 2010. And I recently heard about this paper through a neuroscientist, Dr. Andrew Huberman. And he cited the paper and he talked about, he referenced the last sentence in the introduction here. The most powerful effects of elevated CO2, so that's what we're doing now, may probably be explained by a direct effect on the neuronal membrane. And this is the key sentence. The brain, by regulating breathing, controls its own excitability. We have 80 billion brain cells, and each brain cell is communicating with 15,000 other brain cells. And we don't want the brain cells firing all over the place because then we're out of whack. So by holding our breath, especially when we're in an extreme stress, holding the breath for a few seconds, letting go, we're increasing blood flow to the brain. And this is having a calming effect physiologically. The next time you're in stress, and you know, of course, little things happen. That's the way it is. Things happen. How do we react to them? And I learned these tools. I was lucky enough about 25 years ago. I'm almost 50 years of age. And I will genuinely say, you will use them. I won't say every day. Yeah, you could. But certainly many, many times a week, I use them because things happen and I want to be able to self-regulate. And I did go to business school. I have a business degree before I went into breathing, but I was never taught how to deal with stress. And many of you here, you're probably working in high-stressed environments. Have you been trained how to concentrate, how to hold your attention and how to self-regulate? That's very, very important. So let's go again. Take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold and hold for five, four, three, two, one. Let go, breathe in through your nose and to breathe normal for 10 to 15 seconds. And again, take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold. Five, four, three, two, one. Let go, breathe in through your nose and to breathe normal for 10 to 15 seconds. Okay. Now I'm going to go on to a slightly different exercise before I go to the breathe light. So that last exercise is your emergency exercise. And by the way, we do have a free app, which is called Oxygen Advantage. And if you download the app, it contains about 90 different breathing instruction. But basically, if you put in um, who, what you want to get out of it, if you have asthma, or if you have high blood pressure, or if you have anxiety, or if you want to improve mental focus or whatever, it's free anyway, and it will give you exercises. And it's basically an app to um, all of the info, not all the information in my head, but the information in my head is put into an app. So you might find it useful. So the next exercise is to open up the nose. Don't do this exercise if you have anxiety or panic disorder, or if you are pregnant, or if you've got serious medical conditions. Um, if you wanted to give it a go, go very gently, but don't do it if you're pregnant, full stop. So to open up the nose, you hold your breath. Now you can test how open or closed your nose is, if I can find my phone. 
by simply using your phone. So give the screen a rub. You get the screen, put it underneath your nose and breathe onto it. And then look at the halo that's left on the screen. And that will tell you, is it the left side of the nose or is it the right side of the nose or how much is your nose congested? Always remember this when it comes to the nose. If your nose is stuffy, you don't just have a stuffy nose. You have a problem with your sleep. Two to three times more likely to have sleep problems. So think of the child with the stuffy nose. That child doesn't just have a stuffy nose. They're more likely to have a sleep problem. And if they have a sleep problem, they're more likely to have academic problems. Okay, you might say, well, my child is a grade A student. I was a grade A student up until the age of 11. And 12, 13, 14, I went from the top of the class right down to the bottom of the class. Why? I had undiagnosed sleep apnea. How many kids does this affect? About sleep disorder breathing affects about 15% of children, one in seven. So it's fairly common. So let's go again. Open up the nose. You do it this way. Take a normal breath in through your nose, out through your nose, pinch your nose and hold your nose and just gently nod your head up and down, holding your breath and see if it works. So don't kind of say, oh, it's not for me or anything. No, give it a go, right? Because this is the exercise that got me into breathing. And then I'll show you another exercise that got me into breathing. So let's give it a go. Take a normal breath in through your nose, out through your nose, pinch your nose and hold, and just gently nod your head up and down as you hold your breath. And then let go and breathe in through your nose. It's known since 1923 that when you hold your breath, you open up your nose, even if you have hay fever. So this will temporarily decongest the nose. And the wonderful thing about the human nose is that the more you use it, the better it works. So you're just breathing through your nose now for about a minute or so, and we do it again. So children with head colds, show them how to decongest the nose. Remember that all children who breathe through an open mouth will develop crooked teeth. All children who breathe through an open mouth develop crooked teeth. Why? Because the tongue isn't resting up in the roof of the mouth. And it's the pressure exerted by the tongue as it rests in the roof of the mouth, which develops the maxilla, which is the top jaw. And the, the shape of the maxilla should be wide and U-shaped. I didn't have straight teeth. I used to have crooked teeth, of course. So I went to a dentist in California called Dr. William Hang. So he's since retired, but he was based in Agoura Hills and uh, he widened my jaws because my jaws were too narrow because I had my mouth open as a kid. Nobody told me Patrick breathed through the nose. So let's go again. Take a normal breath in through your nose, out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold. And just gently nod your head up and down as you're holding your breath. And just kind of relax into your body. You're just relaxing into the body as you're holding your breath, just relaxing into the body and then let go, but breathe in through your nose. And I'm not sure if you're able to use the chat. I don't know how this works in terms of when there's a group of people like this, but uh, after about four or five attempts, just write in, is your nose, is it more stuffy? Is it less stuffy? Is it the same? Simple as that. Or is your nose more open, less open or the same? But don't do it yet. I have to do it about four or five times. So, just give me a little bit of a, um, a weight. So again, take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold. 
And just gently nod your head up and down as you hold your breath. You're just gently nodding your head up and down as you hold your breath. And continue holding your breath as you nod your head up and down. So you're continuing to hold your breath as you nod your head up and down. And then you let go, but you breathe in through your nose and then you breathe normal. So that was number three. So we're going to see, can we open up the nose five in five times by doing five reps? So now just breathe in and out through your nose. And of course, remember, where should your tongue be? Your tongue should be resting up in the palate. Mouth breathers don't have their tongue in the palate. So the human nose is actually fairly extensive in the human face. So this is a close above the human nose. So most people, we think that the nose is this thing here, you know? You look at the mirror and you're saying, okay, this is my nose here. That's only the initial part of the nose. Whereas your nose goes way back within the skull. You see this here? So I would say in terms of breathing, it's the only organ that does anything to help filter and moisten and everything, the air coming in. So to get an idea of the extent of your nose, put your tongue into the roof of your mouth, drag your tongue along the roof of the mouth until you feel the soft palate like this. Can you feel the soft palate? Can you feel this here? The roof of the mouth is the floor of your nose. So let's go again. Take a normal breath. In through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold. Gently nod your head up and down as you hold your breath. And then to let go, but to breathe in through the nose. So now you're letting go, you're breathing in through the nose. And I have a visitor, of course, who's come in. So even with a dog, you will see, he won't come near me. So with a dog, with all animals, they will have their mouths closed pretty much all of the time. So humans are the species that have their mouth open more of the time than any other species on earth. A dog only on a hot day will have the mouth open to self-regulate temperature for thermal regulation. But other than that, the dog will have its mouth closed. So our dog has its mouth closed. He commits to the office here. So let's do it one more time. Take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold your nose and just gently nod your head up and down as you hold your breath. So you're just gently nodding. Are we, how are we breathing when we pinch your nose? And not to breathe when you pinch your nose. So the whole thing is you open up your nose by simply holding your breath. So you're pinching your nose to stop breathing. When you stop breathing, your nose opens up. If you breathe harder and faster, your nose congests. So let's go again, just in case I uh, didn't explain it properly. Take a normal breath in through your nose, out through your nose, pinch your nose and hold your nose to stop breathing. And then gently nod your head up and down as you hold your breath and relax into it and keep holding your breath. So can you hold your breath for 30 seconds? Can you hold your breath for 45 seconds? Can you hold your breath for a minute? And if you can hold your breath for over 30 seconds, you will start to notice that your nose is opening up. So if you have a head cold, if you have a stuffy nose, practice this. We aren't breathing, we are holding our breath, correct? Less stuffy. 
Okay. So will you just put it into chat? Because we tried it five times and hopefully you understood, <laughs> understood it. Um, and just, is your nose, is it more open? Is it less open? Is it the same? It's about the same for Judy. Okay. So I'll wait a moment. And now what we're going to do is go on to the breathe light exercise. So in terms of, is there a way to improve your blood circulation? Is there a way to improve? The, the book Brett by James Nestor is pretty much what we have been working with for 21 years. So I started teaching breathing techniques in 2002. And uh, I wrote a book as well. I've, wrote, I've written 10 books on breathing, but one book is called The Oxygen Advantage, which is, is fairly popular. And then James Nestor brought out Brett, which is it's a wonderful book. So there's some wonderful books out there about breathing and the really great books, though, they talk about the nose. So always make sure what's the foundation, get the foundation right, breathing in and out through the nose. So always breathe out and hold your nose. Don't breathe in and hold your nose. So take a normal breath in through your nose, out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold and gently nod your head up and down. Okay, so let's breathe less air. What happens when you breathe less air? Can you change your state by breathing less air? So I would like you to have one hand on your chest and one hand just above your navel. Sorry, there a courier has just arrived. So one hand on your chest, one hand just on your navel. And just tune in on your breathing patterns. So tune in on your breathing patterns. And I would like you to put a little bit of pressure with your hands against your chest and tummy. So put a little bit of pressure with your hands against your chest and tummy. This one. So you have your hand against your chest and tummy and just gentle pressure with your hands against your chest and tummy. And now what I would like you to do is to take a very soft and slow, gentle breath in through your nose and a relaxed and a slow and a gentle breath out. So what happens when you breathe less air? Because everybody is telling you to breathe more air. So let's do the opposite. Breathe less air and see, this got me into breathing with the other exercise, the nose unblocking. So these would be my two favorite exercises. So let's take a very soft and slow, gentle breath in. Don't worry about whether you're breathing low or high at the moment. It doesn't matter. I just want you to feel air hunger. How do you achieve that? Take a soft, gentle breath in through your nose. And a relaxed and slow. And a gentle breath out. And a very, very soft and slow, gentle breath in through your nose. And a relaxed and a slow. And a gentle breath out. So what's happening when you do this exercise? If you take a really soft and slow, gentle breath in, almost to the point that you are hardly breathing in air, and then you're having a really relaxed and a slow and a gentle breath out. And as you breathe less air, carbon dioxide accumulates in the lungs and blood. And as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, it helps to stimulate your vagus nerve. So how do you know if you've activated the rest or digest response? If you activate the rest response, you feel sleepy. If you activate the digest response, you've got increased watery saliva in the mouth. If you're stressed, your mouth goes dry because your body isn't ready for the digestion of food. So the plant-based food that you're eating, if you have a dry mouth, you know that your body isn't ready for it. But if you have increased watery saliva in the mouth 
And if you are feeling a bit sleepy, you know that you've activated that rest, digest response. So the opposite to the stress response. <laughs>